We um, very strategically work with a number of different organizations across the city who share our values, people who we love, people who are specialists in particular areas of mission and outreach um, in the city. And so uh, one of those partners um, is uh, Claris Health. And this morning, we are extremely grateful to have with us uh, Talitha Phillips, who is the CEO of Claris Health. Hello. <laughs> so she's going to be uh, bringing God's word to us, uh, and we're very grateful for that. But before she does, I realize that a bunch of you don't, don't know Talitha, don't know the kind of work that Claris do. So I thought I'd, I'd, we got the stools out so that we could grill you in front of everybody just for about 10 minutes. Is that okay? Perfect. <laughs> so um, for those who don't know you, uh, tell us a bit about yourself and where you come from, those kind of things. That's always the most complicated question because <laughs> I was a missionary kid. I grew up um, in Europe for most of my life, um, but I came out here in 96, got a scholarship to Pepperdine, and California is hard to leave <laughs> once your once your experience is weather. Um, but I've been at Claris now for almost 21 years, and you're going to learn so much more than you ever thought about me in a few moments. Yes, so, um, but I do. I have two little girls that are nine and 14, and we live in Thousand Oaks, so we spend most of our time on the freeway. Um, <laughs> yeah. Don't we all? Yes. Yeah. yes <laughs> it's all yes. good. Um, and so you look after Claris Health, which is an amazing organization. Just give us a little flavor of the kind of work that you do across the city. Yeah, so we have um, clinics in West and South LA um, and a mobile medical unit that's like a 30-foot bus that drives all over the city of LA into areas that are hardest to reach and primarily work with pregnant women and families with children under the age of five um, and just bringing a lot of hope and um, options for them to just process what they're going through in a safe place and um, yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. So I know that um, one of the big areas that you get involved in is these kind of big, very thorny questions around sexual health and abortion and those kind of things. And I'm aware that this is just, this is such a big complicated topic uh, that we live in. I you know, I remember 15 years ago when Laura and I got married, we, we wanted to say as Christians, like we want to hold sex as this thing that exists inside of a marriage. And so we, you know, when, we were, when we got married, that was a kind of thing we felt like that was a gift we would give to one another. And then after being married for a couple of years, we plucked up the courage and tried to have children and were blessed to be able to have a couple of kids. Um, and and that's been, you know, like difficult and complicated, but at the same time felt, felt like a, has always felt to us like a real gift that God gave us for a pattern of life and family and relationships. But I'm aware that like over the last 60 years, you know, the nature of relationships and sex and marriage and all those things in our culture has changed just dramatically. And, you know, now if you look out in the world, the, even the idea of sex is like this sort of almost first date adult fun kind of concept and the idea of hooking up. And then obviously off the back of that, there is just this inevitable reality where there's a lot of unplanned pregnancies that are happening, even with contraception, what's going on there. And then, of course, off the back of that, then there is exactly what you guys find yourself in the world of dealing with what happens when there is an unplanned pregnancy. And I'm sure you'll, you'll update me on the actual data on this, but uh, from, from memory, it's like you know, one in four women in the United States now will have an abortion, a terminated pregnancy at some point in their life. And you know, as a, as a Christian, I just 
stand and look at that and my heart kind of breaks and I feel like God's heart breaks, not just for the psychological trauma and pain that's caused to parents in that moment of grief and loss. Obviously, believing that God designs life beautifully and amazingly and with plans and purposes and to see this kind of such high levels now of terminations and abortions. Like how do we, how do we as Christians like live in that space? What, what does it mean to respond in truth, in love, in ways that are gonna bring transformation and love and grace and also God's you know, justice of change? How do, how do we even begin to do that? That's a small question for you. <laughs> <laughs> Just an easy answer. I mean, I, I'm going to unpack a little bit of that this morning, but I think the, the main answer that I would say to you with, with all of this is just remembering that behind all of these big decisions are people. They're real lives. And I think, you know, an issue like this, we often talk about how it affects women, and we've made it very much a women's issue, which it is, but it affects the whole family. It affects men. It affects future generations. And so I think, you know, in those complicated situations when people are wrestling, whether it's in our home or in our community, just looking them in the eye and just remembering that these are people that God loves and that he's placed us often in that other seat to just look at them and extend his hope to them. And I always say we just paint hopeful pictures over people's lives that they just don't see yet, that sometimes we have to sort of believe that for them. And I feel like that's what the promise of the gospel, right, is the hope, the hope that God has over each of our lives, no matter where we're seated today. So I think, yes, we keep speaking the truth, but speaking it in love is as important, maybe more important, because that's what they feel, and that's what they remember in that moment. Yeah, thank you. That's super helpful. I'm sure you're going to unpack it a little bit for us uh, in, a, in a few minutes' time, but um, we're so grateful for, for what you guys do. You just did an amazing thing across the city, bringing transformation and love and just wonderful things. So we're grateful to have Clarice as one of our mission partners. And there's, uh, we were talking, Talitha and I, before the, uh, the service. They've got you know, staffing needs right now. They're looking to hire people. They've always got opportunities to volunteer. Um, and so after the service, you're going to be, uh, you've got one of your team with you who's going to be around. So there's going to be opportunities to pray with you at the end of the service. But also, um, if you want to find out more about the world of Claris and what they do and how they bring transformation to the life of the city, we've got some information and stuff out in the courtyard. Is that right? The welcome table. The welcome area. Oh, that welcome table, that way. Okay, fantastic, great. Okay, well, I'm going to get out of the way because that's enough of me, but <laughs> let me get the podium and you can bring God's word to us. Thank you. Well, good morning. Um, it is such an honor to be here, and I want to thank you all for being willing to sort of unpack this issue this morning. I know it's not um, always easy. So grateful for your church leadership that said, yes, this is something we want to dive into and we want to look at. So um, so usually when you hear that someone at church is going to talk about abortion or unintended pregnancy, often the focus is on the lives of children born and those who are yet to be born. And these topics can sometimes seem political or polarizing. But as believers, we know that every single person is created equally in the image of God. It's what we call the Imago Dei. And therefore, the lives of women and men and children and families all have inherent value. And I believe that we have to talk about these things because, as we know, God is the creator of all life. 
And these are very real issues that are happening in our cities and in our kids' schools and churches and sometimes even in our own homes. And I believe that if we want to be a church that is relevant, but also that says that we're present in times of need, then we cannot allow society or politicians to dominate these conversations and to really pit women against children. See, Claris means clarity. And for 45 years now, Claris has helped bring clarity to these confusing situations. And, and we do so by caring for people and families who are facing unintended pregnancy. See, our goal is to make sure that they know there's always more than just one option and that they have a community of support that will rally around them before, during, and after an unintended pregnancy. So if they choose to parent, we have prenatal care, and classes, and baby supplies, and ongoing therapy. And if they choose adoption or an abortion, though we don't provide those services, we have support groups and ongoing counseling that helps them process and heal from their loss. And we also care about prevention. So we have a program called Reality Check that goes into schools and youth groups and talks to young people about making healthy sexual and relational choices. And, and reminds them that their lives have incredible purpose. In uh, 2011, I brought my little family with me to Uganda, and it was a, a dream for me to take them to a country that had captured my heart so many years before. And my oldest daughter at the time, her name was Riley, she was three, and we were in a town called Gulu in northern Uganda, and we had this last-minute opportunity to visit a hospital, and. We walked in and there were rows and rows of beds with these little bodies laying down or sitting up just staring at us. And the smell was almost unbearable as many of them were burned victims and their flesh was left unbandaged. There were no IVs, no morphine drips, just the sound of babies that were crying in pain. And I held Riley on my hip as we walked from child to child and I didn't even get through the first story before the tears started falling down my face. And See, we were in Africa with a small team of people, and we were there to work with organizations like Claris and some schools and orphanages, and this trip to the hospital was a last-minute opportunity. None of us were prepared. We weren't doctors. We didn't have medicine. In fact, no one had ever been to Uganda other than me, so they were already processing the things that they had seen in the first few days that we were there, and here we were, staring death in the face. And out of the corner of my eye, I caught a glimpse of my husband frantically talking to a nurse about why these kids were in so much pain, and then he ran out to the pharmacy to try to buy medicine, and there was another team member singing Amazing Grace over a child that was having a seizure, and then I felt this little squeeze on my hip, and I remembered that my daughter was right there, and she held on so tightly, and then the tears started welling in her eyes, and all the questions began. Mommy, what's wrong? Why are you crying? What happened to these kids? And I stood there feeling completely powerless, and then I flashed back to my own childhood. See, when I was five years old, I walked every day down the red light district in Holland to get to my kindergarten class. And as we walked, my brother and I would stare at prostitutes sitting in their windows just waiting for business. And I remember the ashamed look on their faces as they watched us walk by every day and as our walk continued, sometimes we would see drunks and drug addicts passed out in the street. And I saw a guy once try to commit suicide by jumping off of a canal bridge. And while these memories may seem harsh, there's something really sweet about them because they all remind me of my mom. And I imagine that my mom felt 
as helpless as I did standing in that Ugandan hospital when she would walk me to school every day. And, but she would answer my questions, and she would encourage me to draw the women pictures and give them my drawings, and she reminded me over and over that Jesus loved them and that he wanted me to do the same. And we prayed for the people that we saw on the streets, and my mom was able to turn this harsh reality into a teachable moment that I believe planted seeds for me to work at Claris many years later. See, this talk today might feel a bit like a walk down the red light district, and I'm sure that my mom wished that those curtains could have stayed closed. It would have been much easier than staring at the women and seeing the brokenness, and I sometimes have that same thought as I drive or walk down the streets of LA with my two kids and have to help them process the things that they see. But I believe that by breaking the silence around these issues, we're taking a big step towards God's plan for our lives. See, the broken lives that are right here in the city of L.A., they need us. And James 1 paints an incredible picture of what it looks like for us to live an authentic Christian life. And verse 27 of James 1 says that religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. See, it doesn't say to do all of this except when we're raising little kids or when we're a college student or building our career or enjoying retirement. See, according to James, when we visit and or engage or care for the widow and the orphan, we are worshiping our Father. James calls us to engage a culture in need, the people who need you, it's about intentionally breaking through the fear and the obstacles that are keeping them bound. I left work late one night and I was racing to pick up my daughter at preschool and my phone rang and I heard this quiet, unfamiliar voice on the other end. Her name was Vanessa. And she told me she was 11 weeks pregnant and was scheduled to have an abortion in a few days. She lived in Northern California and was about to start med school and She'd been hiding her relationship from her parents and was terrified of disappointing them. And she didn't want to go through with the abortion, but she felt like she had no other choice. And her sister lived in L.A. and heard about Claris and asked her to please call me before she made that decision. And the more that Vanessa and I talked, the more helpless I felt because I couldn't meet with her. I couldn't offer her all the services that Claris typically would. But I took a deep breath and asked her if I could call her back in a few minutes and then I walked into my daughter's preschool, and she saw me across the room, and she ran at me and jumped in my arms like she normally would do when I would pick her up. And that day, I tell you, I hugged her just a little bit tighter, and I thought about how I wouldn't trade that moment for the world. It was my favorite thing about my day. And, and then I remembered a time in my life when I did. See, when, when I was 19, I found out that I was pregnant, and I had a choice at that time, either a bright future in keeping my Pepperdine academic scholarship or disappointing everyone that I knew. See, a few years earlier, I went from being this missionary kid to moving to Tulsa, Oklahoma, the Bible Belt, and I thought my life was over. I was stuck in suburbia with a bunch of kids who thought the mall was a cultural experience and had no idea what, what I had seen, but... Um, it didn't take that long, though, before I started to like the culture around me. And the more that I chased after the world, the more that it broke my heart. See, the streets of Amsterdam reveal this very ugly side of sin. 
but the closed doors and the pretty faces in our cities do such a good job of trying to hide its reality. Our streets don't necessarily have a red light district, but they're full of women who believe that they're worthless and replaceable and often invisible. And that was me. See, I had made a mistake and I was paralyzed with fear and with shame. And I heard a quote years later that said that women would rather go to God with an abortion than the church with an unintended pregnancy. And I allowed my fear of revealing my sin to the people that I thought I could trust in life to drive me to make a decision that I never imagined was possible. See, I went to a clinic at 19 that was much different than Claris, and there was a nurse there that told me that an abortion would be the best thing for my situation. She said it'd be a quick and easy procedure, and nothing could have been further from the truth. That decision led me to years of self-destructive behavior and abuse. So as I quickly reflected on my past and thought about Vanessa's situation, I, I realized that it would have meant the world to me in my moment of crisis if somebody would have just listened and validated my fears and walked through my options with me and painted a picture of hope. And so that's exactly what I did when I called Vanessa back that night. And I offered to connect her with someone that I knew who was going through med school with little kids. And I gave her tips into how to talk to her parents if she decided to do that. And, and many months later, I got a message from her with a little photo and the following words. I think we might have the photo, but she said, Jaden was born on April 15th, and I'm so in love. She said, I often thought back on our first call and the uncertainty in my life. Thank you for your encouragement and insight throughout this pregnancy, even if it was just by phone. It made me feel stronger and believe that I could do this. Jaden is the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I've still never met Vanessa in person, but she went on, she graduated from med school, and this little guy was a gap model, this beautiful little boy that we've, I've seen many times on websites. See, I've always uh, been drawn to the passage in John 4 where Jesus interacts with the woman at the well, a woman with sins so great that she would wait till no one was around to go out and draw her water. She was a woman that lived in seclusion and isolation because she was declared unworthy of anyone's love. And it always strikes me that Jesus purposefully went out of his way to reach out to her, to show her that he cared enough about her to transform her life forever. Well, brokenness and isolation and sin still impact our culture today. Statistics show that about 50% of all pregnancies are unintended. So that means that millions of women every year face these types of situations. And as Ben said, one in four women will have had at least one abortion by the time they're 45 years old. And for every woman that experiences abortion, we know that there was a man involved, whether he was pressuring her to have that procedure or whether he was fighting for her to try to keep the baby. See, at Claris, we see both of those men that often walk in and we know that these decisions deeply affect them as well. See, women in LA are often met with additional challenges. I say women and men in LA have additional challenges. Before the pandemic hit, there were already 60,000 people experiencing homelessness in LA County. There are more kids in foster care in California than any other state in the or any other state in, yeah, in the country. And the foster care system is often a pipeline into human trafficking and homelessness. 40% of single motherheaded households in LA County are living in poverty. 
And it's easy to hear stats like this and to forget the humanity behind them, the people that need to know that they're not defined by these circumstances. See, the impact of unintended pregnancy is huge in our communities, in our churches, and even on our children. So how do we possibly start to reach those who are affected? See, I believe that we start by focusing on the ones that God has placed right in front of us, the people that Ben and I just talked about, the modern-day widow and the modern-day orphan. In May of 2019, I sat in the lobby on the third floor of Edelman Children's Courthouse um, next to a young woman that I'm going to call Chelsea. and She had been a client at Claris, and her baby had been removed from her custody. And I was there trying to help her understand why she had to be in court and how to make sense of what she thought was senseless, especially because she had battled mental illness for many years and homelessness and had severe childhood trauma. And we were surrounded by people in the lobby, and some were chatting with lawyers, some were fighting with family members, and some just sat there in silence. But it was a lobby that was full of visibly broken and exhausted people. And I remembered that about six years before that, I sat in a lobby of that very same courthouse just one floor up. And that day, I was there to finalize the adoption of my youngest daughter, Adeline. And our lobby that day was filled with friends and excitement and joyful people there that were, were there to celebrate this occasion. And on the surface, one floor represents loss and the other represents gain. But the truth is that both of those floors were filled with brokenness. There were so many people in a lobby that had experienced infertility or loss or just the disappointment of life not turning out the way they thought it would, and others were there just lacking a lot of resources and support or born into families that they didn't have a choice to be born into. And they were all lives that are impacted by the harshness of this world. And as I sat next to Chelsea, I wasn't there as the CEO of Claris. I was just another mom who loves her girls and whose heart was breaking. And Chelsea and her daughter had spent the previous Thanksgiving with us, and we deeply cared for them. And as I sat there, I just wanted her to know she wasn't alone, even in this dark moment. And, and there was a season in my life when someone at Claris did the same thing for me. See, when I was at Pepperdine, there was a church in Malibu um, that I attended, and I would hear all these sermons about forgiveness, and I would always think, if only you knew what I had done. See, in the moments when I felt God pursuing me, I would resist, and I would tell others that God loved and forgave them, but deep down, I didn't believe that that forgiveness was available for me, too. I Somehow, I decided that my sin, my abortion, was so much worse than anything anyone else could have possibly done, and and then one Sunday at church, I opened a bulletin, and there was an ad for a post-abortion Bible study at what is now Claris, and I slammed the bulletin shut, and it, I think it probably took four weeks before I finally got the courage to call, and I first walked into Claris as a client in desperate need of God's healing. There was a woman named Debbie that answered the phone, and she immediately spoke hope over my life, and she led me and some other women through a 10-week post-abortion Bible study, and she would tell me week after week that despite the lies that I believed that my past abortion did not have to define my future, she would listen and process and introduce me to other, women's and slow, other women who'd been through it, and slowly the walls of my shame began to crumble, and I started to believe that just maybe every bad thing that happened wasn't a punishment 
for what I had done. See, Claire has helped me grieve and honor and name the baby that I lost, and, and they saw something in me that I just couldn't see for myself. My life was transformed as I allowed Jesus to heal me, and then I couldn't help but bring that same hope and healing to others, a living testimony of the transforming scars of my past. So many of you sitting in this audience also carry scars of what you've been through. And, and what if instead of hiding those scars or trying to stuff them, what if we actually allowed them to become the centerpiece of our story? A visible proof of God's redemptive power in our life. See, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that he has made everything beautiful in its time. And that's the promise that Claris has built its model upon that anything and anyone can be redeemed. See, our goal is to help paint brighter futures over lives that feel lost and unworthy. And I believe that together we could make this statement that, that we can actually unite people around these polarizing topics because it's about people, not politics. I believe that women need to know they have options so they don't feel trapped. And that's a statement we can make together and we can provide compassionate and non-judgmental care before, during, and after these choices. And I know that these decisions affect entire families, and we should give all of them a voice. See, Chelsea's baby is now four years old, and it has been a long, continued journey of addiction and foster care, incarceration. And I was thinking about all this one morning, about her as I was driving down La Brea in Hollywood, and I caught myself looking for her in tents, that lined the streets, and, and honestly, I, I had a thought for a moment of, is it worth it? Is it worth continuing to pour our lives into, or continuing to pour our hearts into lives that may never change? And a few moments later, I looked down at my phone at a red light, I think, um, and I saw a reply on Instagram from this girl named Susie, and Susie's daughter, Eva, had just turned 13, and when Susie was pregnant, she used to sneak out of her house to come to Claris to get away from an abusive boyfriend who was trying to force her to have an abortion. And, and caring for Susie involved this middle-of-the-night escape. We talked to the police through her baby shower, and it required tons of reinforcement that leaving that relationship was the right thing to do. And Susie eventually gave birth to Eva, and she went on to get a PhD in engineering from USC. And she raised this beautiful little girl who is severely autistic and completely nonverbal. And I couldn't stop staring at her words on Instagram because she said, I love you for saving us. And it was this simple but incredibly profound gratitude for her daughter's life. And in that moment when I saw that, it hit me that it's absolutely worth it. It's worth pouring into every Susie and Chelsea, and it's worth it for you. See, before we engage the world and impact the loss, we have to look at our own lives the other part of the story of, with, of Jesus with the woman at the well is that after engaging with her, he says to her, go and sin no more. See, James says it like this, we must keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. Before we can change the world, we have to receive God's transforming love in our own lives. We are broken people, every one of us sitting here, and we have a choice to heal from that brokenness, to change our lives and to start over today. So I would ask you, is there anything 
in your life that's hindering you from effectively serving others? Is there an area where you need deep healing today? Today is as much about you receiving God's healing touch as it is about you reaching into the world to offer his healing. God desires freedom from your past and even your present struggles, whether it's something that you took part in or something that was so far out of your own control. It could be an abortion. It could be divorce. It could be abuse, affair, addiction, illness. See, God gives us confidence that you can live a world or live a life without blemish from the world. So for those in this audience who have experienced a past unintended pregnancy, you know that becoming pregnant changes our life, whether we carry that baby to term or not. And if you or someone you love has experienced an abortion, and we know that's likely about a fourth of this audience, then hearing this might bring up some very painful memories, and you might feel your heart breaking all over again. And others may face or or know someone that will face this in the future and wrestle with that. And I'm here today to tell you with the support of your pastoral staff that we are here for you. Please reach out if you need help. So hear these words from Zephaniah 3.17. It says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you but will rejoice over you with singing. And what if we start praying that God, through us, will show others that he can use ordinary lives to bring extraordinary blessing into the world? And what if we tangibly find ways to reach the modern-day orphan and the widow? And with Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers said it this way. He says, from the time that you were little, you've had people who smiled you into smiling, loved you or talked you into talking, sung you into singing, and loved you into loving. See, this is what Clarice has been doing for 45 years. We've been smiling people into smiling and loving them into loving and creating a model of care that's so personal that it's designed to rebuild lives who felt unloved or unnoticed. There are people across the city like me and Vanessa and Chelsea who need you today, and I ask you to pray how God is calling you to engage this culture, to sacrifice, and to take radical risks. There are some ways that you can get involved with Claris on the screen, but My prayer for you is just that you would wake up each day asking God to break your heart for the things that break his, to notice those, and to remember that he absolutely delights in you. Thank you.